Well, good morning. Uh, welcome this uh, New Year's Eve. It's uh, good to be back in town. Uh, we had a nice little getaway to Augusta and back. Actually, Augusta, Columbia, and then back to Augusta, and then back to here. That's always fun. Um, so, uh, and, uh, but like I mentioned before, we're, Amanda and I are uh, slightly under the weather. Uh, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> I'm on all kinds of drugs right now. I, I see like it's actually kind of cool. I see like two of each of you. N- not, not really, but it, almost. I mean, you know, if I take uh, certain cold medicines. They put you into this like foggy, weird state. <laughs> but it's better than the, the alternative or whatever. So um, but this morning we're going to be in, um, go ahead. And, yeah, this morning we're going to be in uh, actually the book of Lamentations. It's a book uh, that many of us might avoid <laughs> if... Uh, <clears throat> most of us, because the book of Lamentations are just that. It's a lament. It's the lament of Jeremiah, who's called often the weeping prophet, who, as a prophet, got to uh, tell his people that judgment was coming, witness it, be a part of it, and languish in it. And that was his lovely call to ministry. Um, and so uh, in this little book here, though, we get a little glimpse of, of light, a little bright spot in the midst of darkness, and it's really, hopefully, maybe encourage us this morning. So if you would turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, and I'm going to read in uh, two places, actually. I'm going to read in verse 21, and we're going to jump down to verse uh, 31. Um, so if you have a Bible, we can turn there. It says this, but I call, to this, this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And if we jump jump down to verse 31, yeah. Uh, For the Lord... Will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for what you show us in uh, really a dark time, a dark place, a, a, a hurting soul that brings us light in the midst of that. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. Speak to us in your word this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. So, it's New Year's Eve, and New Year's, Christmas, it's kind of a season of new things. You, know, you have Christmas, and you get new stuff. You get new clothing, maybe new toys, new this, new that, and, and that part's fun, right? You get I got some new shoes on, like I like them, yeah, it turned out pretty good. And actually, unlike most new shoes, they don't hurt. Uh, but also, the new year, maybe for some, an op- an, a new opportunity, a new fresh start. Gym memberships go way up for a short time. Uh, everybody's looking to lose that belly, to just do something new. It's, it's, I think as human beings, something deep within us, longs for new, something new, something fresh. 
you know, car sellers know this. Most people that buy cars don't buy cars because their car broke down or doesn't work anymore because they wanted something new. As a matter of fact, that's why, I don't know if you've ever noticed, car makers are always changing the designs of their cars, just making it look better, maybe not even better. Sometimes it turns out a lot worse. Uh, and you think, what were they thinking? It looked so good, now what? And that's because people want something new. It's just deep in us. Um, and so, um, every one of us longs for something new. Um, like, so what is it about us that longs for something new? You have to kind of ask for that, right? And you, you see it in kids. Kids will, at Christmas, our kids were surrounded by new stuff, new toys, and guess what they said on occasion? I'm bored, right? And that's, that's it's, it's amazing. They'll have tons of stuff to do. We'll tell them that. When we hear our kids say, I'm bored, we say, well, I got plenty of stuff I could get you to do. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. No, because they want, um, and so the issue isn't that there's something to do. Um, it's an issue, I think, of satisfaction. It's, it's an issue of joy in the heart. When we look for new things or a new opportunity or new this or new that or whatever, I think it's a deep longing within us that God put there. He put in us a desire for newness. Um, and so, um, but here's a, I, mean, here, I want to ask a question this morning. This is kind of where I want to go. Is, has the gospel... Has the message of the good news become old hat to you? Has it lost its freshness, its newness, its excitement in your life? Um, is, it, is it? And so we see here Jeremiah declares that the gospel, God's mercy, his covenant love never tires, is always new, it is always fresh. It is always exciting, original, and even astonishing. But is it for you? Yeah, let's be honest. Sometimes it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that Jesus stuff. <laughs> I'll go to church because I check my box off or I do the routine or whatever. Or I get up in the morning and I go to the Bible and it's like I'm reading. I might as well be reading the phone book because it's not singing to me anymore um, and so that's a big question I think as Christians we have to ask is how does the gospel remain astonishing and fresh and new to us on a regular basis and I think J Jeremiah here shows us three ways that the gospel should, it can remain always new and astonishing in our lives okay and um, so the first one is he saw the astonishment of God's reproving mercy. So the astonishment or the wonder, the, the beauty of God's uh, reproving mercy. Now, you've you got to understand Jeremiah's situation to get the picture here. Because we, these verses, y'all probably heard before. You've probably heard the verse that his mercies are new every day. You've probably heard it out of my mouth. Countless times. I love this verse. However, if you don't see the context in which it sits, you miss a really big point. 
a really big uh, teaching moment or whatever, you're going to miss. Probably the most important thing here. Okay? So if you go back um, in this same chapter to verses 1 through 8, I don't know if it's on the screen. No, that's all right, because I'm, I'm just going to read part of it. Just to give you all the gist of where Jeremiah is and where his emotional state is, where he's at as a person. Listen, verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hands again and again the whole day long. He has made me my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about, has walled about me so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths chokes, and he goes on. He's not in a good place. And this is what uh, uh, Christians throughout history has called the dark night of the soul. And in, in many great Christians throughout history have faced times where they just felt darkness. They felt like God wasn't with them. They felt like that, that the hand that God had given him was so bitter and so dark. Augustine talks about it, Aquinas, and, and many, many others talk about this dark night of the soul. And Jeremiah is facing it. And you have to ask the question, what's going on here? Isn't he God's prophet? Wasn't he faithful? Didn't he do what God called him to do? And he, this is where God leads him. I can mention C.S. Lewis. Of course, you know, C.S. Lewis, the wonderful writer, you know, uh, 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 scholar, theologian. We, we love, and you would think if anybody would have this blessed, amazing, joyous relationship with God at all times, it had to be C.S. Lewis, right? Well, he writes in his uh, book, I believe it's uh, Surprised by Grief. He, and, and this is when um, Joy, his, his, his wife, has died, or was dying, and, or had died. He says, but go to him, go to God, with your need, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolt, bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. That's honest. That is really, that comes to a place of darkness. And that sounds a lot like Jeremiah here, doesn't it? The, the same language. Very similar. That I, I, my call goes out to you, I cry to you, and you don't hear. You've walled me in. you shut me off. You've locked the door. And that's, what Jer that's where Jeremiah is. And, and here's the thing, is if God has led Jeremiah to this place, if God has led C.S. Lewis to this place and countless other Christians, maybe there's times where he might lead you there. And maybe you're there. 
As a matter of fact, it seems that very often that is the call of God. Duck, Duckett, um, Jonathan Duckett, he just sent me like a sermon mashup from a guy named Jared uh, Wilson on this kind of similar issue. Is if, if, would you go, would you take the call of God if it was the call that most of the guys in the Bible received? And he uses Isaiah, for example. And, you know, and he talks about, and I've seen this, our, even our Christian mission does this. Our mission, you know, mission shirts, it says, here I am, send me. So God calls Abraham, I mean, calls Isaiah, he says, who will go? Who shall I send, you know? And, and Isaiah, who has experienced the grace of God and the mercy of God there in the throne room of God, says, I'll go, here I am, send me. And then God says, okay, well, you're going to go to a people that won't listen to anything you say. They will turn away from you. They, and, and you actually, the more you speak to them, the more you, prof, you know, go to them and, and do your ministry, the more they're going to turn away. Who wants to sign up for that? And, and go down the list of, of, of the callings of Christians in the Bible. But what we want, very often, is we want to be called to a comfortable life. We want to be called to a successful life. We want all of that. But maybe, maybe God is calling you to some failure, to some disappointment, some suffering and some pain, some loss. And why would he do that, though? Why? Well, if you look in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Okay? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there in whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So it's basically saying, if you're experiencing what is called here the discipline or reproof for God, if there's suffering in your life, then you should say, wow, God loves me. But that's not how we normally think, is it? We think, what? What did I do wrong? Or we think, of course, this is happening because I've done wrong. That's just how we normally think. But discipline, in, in the, there in Hebrews, the idea of discipline and reproof isn't always like punishment. You know, you think of the punitive nature. So if I spank my kids, I can do that as punishment, Right? But if I'm a good parent, I'm going to use discipline and reproof as not, not just to, to make them suffer because they did something wrong, not to pay for what they've done wrong, but rather to instruct them in what is right, correct? You know, that's the goal of discipline and parenting. And that is God's goal for us. He wants us Here's the big point here. He wants us to know and, and realize that this life is not the goal. 
that a successful, comfortable, happy life is not your goal. A, a successful, thriving, booming church plant is not our goal. Our goal is to know Him, to be known by Him, and to be faithful to Him. Our goal is the ultimate prize one day when we will behold Him face to face. And if we hang on to the, the crowns here, uh, and Jerry Wilson said this this morning. He was talking about, you know, our prize is the crown of glory in the presence of God. That's our prize. However, it's like we get those little Burger King crowns. You know what I'm talking about? The little paper crowns that we wear? You know, the kids wear whatever? They, they still do those? They have to. Those are awesome. I love those. But we're like hanging on to these paper crowns that one day are going to burn. It's, it's not worth it. And so why would God take Jeremiah through this? Why would he bring him to this place? Because of his mercy. And, and so in that, in the struggle, in the fear, in the hurt, in the anger, in the frustration, in the pain, in the suffering that we face in this life, we need to see through it to the mercy of God. The bittersweet mercy of God. So that's the first thing that he knew. Okay? He knew that whatever came his way was at the hand of God. And it's like Sinclair Ferguson told me several years ago after going through a tough, really terrible time. He said, kiss the rod. Kiss the rod of God's discipline because the hand that holds it is good. So that's point one. The astonishment of God's reproving mercy. Secondly, the astonishment of God's redeeming, maybe reconciling mercy. And so here in verse uh, 22, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And he can say that with confidence. Why? You've got to see the language here, and you've got to know Jeremiah. Okay, notice he uses the word steadfast love. Okay, that's actually one word in the Hebrew. It's, it's chesed, and it, and it means covenant, faithful, undying, unquitting love. It is, it's, it's, um, it's a love that can't be broken, and it's, it's a binding love. So if we have chesed for somebody, they can trust and hang on to that love. Well, this idea of chesed is a larger idea in the Bible. And it has to do with God's covenant promises to his people. He chose them as his people and he made a covenant with them and ultimately promised that if need be and would be, that he would die and pay for that covenant in his blood. And we see that. And if you go to... Going back to Jeremiah's prophecies, we see that that is coming. He knows this is coming. So uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, the, the book, prophecy book, and lamentations kind of go hand in hand together. They're, they're, you know, the lamentations is his experience and his lament and his, and his prayer to God. And then we see the prophecy. And so Jeremiah 31 
in uh, verse 31. Is it, do I have it? Good, good. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. So he's there. It's been broken. Judgment has come. And now a new covenant's coming. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer um, shall each teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greater, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Friends, that is the promise of the gospel. The day is coming. And so there's no doubt here in Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of his pain and suffering and time of darkness, he knows that his covenant love that God gives never ends why? Because it will be, for him in the future, us in the past, it will be paid for, ratified in the new covenant, shed in Jesus' blood. That is his hope, and that is his surety. And so another surprising, astonishing aspect of the gospel is that we are forgiven, declared righteous, and accepted as God's sons all the time. Every moment. Every morning, it is new, it is fresh. Every time I sin, it is fresh. Every time I'm unfaithful, it is fresh. Every time, every time, it never lets go. And even though the circumstance seems like God hates me, I've done something wrong, and then therefore he's casting me aside, he knows. Because you go down to verse 31, we read, the Lord will not cast off forever. He knows he's not, he's not going to get cast off. It's, it's new, refreshing, re, refreshing every day. But let me ask you this. Do you ever think to yourself, God must be getting tired of me. God has got to be so over me. And here's the thing. The, the people of God, the Israelites, must have thought that. Jeremiah I was seriously tempted to think that God has now given up on his people. He's cast them aside. He's going to move on. I think that sometimes. I think, God, how faithful, unfaithful can I be? How fearful can I be? How rude and insensitive or just downright selfish can I be before you say, this guy isn't worth it? The beautiful truth of the gospel declares that we are forgiven, accepted, and loved every second. It never, ever grows tired. Great is his faithfulness. So the astonishment of God's redeeming mercy. And then last one is the astonishment of God's restoring mercy. The Lord will not cast off forever. Why? 
Because in this new covenant, there's also a promise of future restoration, even for us. That in those covenant promises, in that new covenant, and you'll see, you see this in Jeremiah and throughout the prophecies, Old Testament, and elsewhere, that God promised that one day I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to restore all things. The most astonishing things about God's mercy is the promise that he is going to restore all things, and God is working right now to redeem and restore all things. So no matter what you face, every circumstance, every little thing that happens in your life, God is using to produce glory in your life. We've seen this before. Romans 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing to the, with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So I, and then we go in, down in verse 28, that all things work together for good for those who love him and call according to his purpose. So the idea that everything that we face, everything in our lives, is working to produce glory and joy in our lives. So none of it will go to waste. Um, there's an awesome story that, um, you know, I may have shared this before because I've shared it a bunch of times. I love it. Tim Keller talks about um, the, our hope in this new heaven, new earth. And he talks about it in the sense of um, it, it's not like one day it's going to be like, okay, everything's better. You're going to forget about your past. Kind of forget all that bad stuff you had to go through or whatever. But rather, God is going to use all the crap that's gone in your life, the stuff you thought would, you would want to be rid of and, and not have to deal with. God is going to use that for your greatest joy later. So he gives an example. Um, I'm going to try to read this the right way here. Um, he says, our hope, in the, is, our hope is in the new heaven and new earth. Our future hope is a restoration of the world and the life we've always wanted. And that changes everything in regard to suffering. So and then he goes on to tell a story of a nightmare that he had. He says this, years ago, I woke up at 3 a.m. panting from a nightmare. You know, I had a terrible nightmare. And in my nightmare, every member of my family was killed in a, in a terrible fashion. And he woke up at 3 a.m. panting from the nightmare. It was as if I had lost my whole family and awakened to discover that I had them back. And he wanted to wake them all up and hug them. He loved them before the nightmare, says, but not like he did after the nightmare. Here's the point. The joy of finding them wasn't a joy in spite of the nightmare, but a joy enhanced by the nightmare. Because of the nightmare, my joy was intensified. The nightmare was taken up into the joy of having them back. The nightmare actually punctuated my joy. So in other words, there's going to be a day when we look back into our life, standing there in the glory of God, and we're going to say, wow, you did that for this? And I don't know how that's all going to work out. I don't know. I don't know how money problems, uh, health, and health issues, stress, death, I don't know how that's all going to enhance and, and make our joy beautiful. But the promise is that it will.
that he will. And so, honestly, the most astonishing, beautiful, glorious words in the Bible are in Revelation 21, verse 5. He says, behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am making all things new. Now, many have said, well, that means God is going to burn and destroy this place and, and restart. He's going to destroy everything and just redo it all. But they're missing the point. The word new here, um, in the Greek, there's more than one word for new. We, we kind of have different words, too. We have, like, we, I mean, we use new in a lot of different ways. But, like, there's new, like, novel new. It's, like, or brand new. Uh, but there's other senses of the word new that we use in English. But in the Greek, there's two main words. Okay? And there's a very typical word, new, that means brand new. It's a new start. It's a brand new or whatever. And, and it's the word neos. Well, that's not the word used there in Revelation 21.5. The word there is kainos. And it means new in quality. In other words, um, maybe another way of thinking about it would be restored. Or I like this word best. He says, I am going to make all things best. Maybe that's the best way we can get at it with English. I'm going to make all things new again. I'm going to make them newer than they ever were, or they ever could be. That's the sense that you see there. And it's like that, uh, I love the, um, I love two shows. One's American Pickers, you know, when these guys go around into barns and stuff and find old stuff to sell. I love that show. But there's one I love even more that actually ended up being a spinoff of it. It's American Restorations. Have y'all seen that one? I love that show because these guys who take the, the junk that the American Picker guys find and they take it and they restore it and it looks even better than it did when it was originally manufactured. I love that because it is such a picture of the promised gospel that we have is that he's going to take us our rusted, nasty, rotted out interiors and exteriors and whatever else and, and mechanics and it's going to be restored, not just to be what, the way it used to be, but even better than it ever was. That is the picture of this promise. Behold, I am making all things new. And so, is the gospel old hat? Is it, has it become worn out for you so I think the challenge for us how to keep the gospel fresh is number one to remember his his reproving mercy and to realize that the the stuff the hard parts of our lives are actually his mercy we don't know how but in and here's the thing though if we know it's his mercy we can turn to him in it it's that I kiss the rod you know it's like most of my kids, when I'm trying to spank them, are doing the maneuvers to get out of it. You know what I'm talking about? The hand behind, the twist, the twist around, the runaway, the hide, all of those maneuvers. I like that spin, didn't you? That was pretty good. They, and then you know, they inevitably make it worse because in their maneuvers, 
their hands get hit, or one time I hit them in the back, you know, that, that hurt <laughs> worse than it would if you'd just taken it. And what I'm saying is, is in those tough times, in, those, in, our, in our squirming and in our, in our struggle, it makes it worse. And instead, if we would just turn to Jesus and, and, and receive his mercy and say, God, I know this is good. I don't know how. I don't understand. I don't need to. And then we, we need to remember his redeeming mercy. That, that this is covenant love redeemed, that is bought, purchased, ratified in his blood. And so we can know that whatever happens, we know that his love never leaves, never goes. And then thirdly, we said, that we need to have that hope. The hope beyond here. A hope that looks beyond the circumstances, knowing that he's going to take all of this mess and make it beautiful.